and welcome to episode number 212 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. Today, I am interviewing author Rhoda Baxter. We are going to talk about scientist heroines and her most excellent pen name origin story. Seriously, this is the best how I got my pen name story that I know of. We also talk about books, television, and movies, the difference between the U.S. romance market and the U.K. romance market, and how baked goods can contain gin and tonic, which is a total revelation for me. As always, I will have links in the podcast entry at smartpitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast to all of the books and things we discuss. I do not have a sponsor for this episode, so I want to ask you very humbly for a request, and I mean this most sincerely. If you can, if you are able, if it is in the realm of the possible for you, and you are approaching the fall and winter season in the Northern Hemisphere, please, for me personally, please go get your flu shot. I am recording this with less than 24 hours until the episode drops because this is the best I've been able to talk in two weeks. I got the flu early and it is so brutal. I cannot even tell you. I was between 101 and 103 degrees Fahrenheit. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. It was gro- oh, it was terrible and disgusting. Please avoid what happened to me. If you can get your flu shot, get your flu shot. Herd immunity is an awesome and real thing. And on behalf of my very, 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 very shy immune system. Seriously, my immune system is like a wallflower in a ballroom full of rakes. Please, if you can, get your flu shot. Our music, as always, is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is, but I have used this track before and it is so awesome. So if you haven't found it already, I will tell you how to go and find it at the end of the show. Speaking of finding things, we have our own iTunes page. Did you know that? iTunes.com slash DBSA has most recent episodes plus links to all of the books in the iBook store, which is awesome. And now, without any further delay, and I have managed not to cough, you have no idea what a miracle that is, on with the podcast. I'm Rhoda Baxter. I write romance for uh, chocolate publishing. Um, and I live in the UK, in the north, where it is now kind of getting cold. I used to be a scientist. I am still kind of am. But um, yeah, I write romance novels. Do you ever really stop being a scientist? I don't know. I don't know. Like my husband is what I call a real scientist because he still does real science all the time. <laughs> but, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I, I'll always be a scientist. <laughs> because I live, I live near someone who works for NASA, and they pretty much think in scientific terms and with a scientific context all the time. Yeah, I get. Yeah, I guess you can't really stop doing that. <laughs> what it's very annoying of... when you're watching something and you're like, ah, that would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> so you probably cannot watch a lot of procedural television. Um, no. It's like when DNA testing gets done in an hour, you're just like, yeah. <laughs> no, never gonna happen. How much does DNA, how long does DNA testing actually take? Several hours. I mean, it depends what you're testing. We used to do ours overnight, but that was kind of laziness, you know. <laughs> you turn the jail down so you can go home and have your dinner. Um, but no, it'll t- it'll take several hours, like half a day at the very quickest. Right. So when you have a half hour drama and the DNA test is done in like 30 seconds, you have a really good laugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of a scientist <laughs> were you? What did you do? 
I was a molecular microbiologist, so uh, bacteria mainly, and I just kind of moved genes around, see what they did, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so I'm actually named after the bacteria that I did my PhD on. This is what I wanted to ask you about. Your pen name comes from a bacteria. Yeah, it's a, it's a little red one called Rhodobacter spheroides. Um, and, you know, you used to, we used to go to the pub and we used to be like, oh, yeah, if I ever wrote a romance novel, I'd call myself Rhodobacter. And then I did write a romance novel. So, like, so you oh, kind of had to use now. the name then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so has anyone ever identified the bacteria from your pen name? Only my friend's dad, but he was like, he's a doctor, so. <laughs> oh, you named yourself after bacteria. That's so cute. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it sounds a bit like a bacteria. Yeah, that, there's a reason for that. It's on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think of all of the how did I pick my pen name stories, that's probably my favorite by a large margin. Oh, I named myself after a bacteria, as you do. There's loads more left. There's what, Salmonella, Pseudominus. <laughs> Well, that second one would make for a lot of good pen names. Yeah, what, Pseudomonas, yeah, it would. That'd be lovely. So if you ever needed, like, a third industry, you could hand out or sell pen name ideas based on molecular bacteria. Yeah, I, sh I should just kind of, you know, get some domain names, like, you know. Oh, yes. Squat <laughs> on kind of thing. all the .coms and .co.uk's. Yeah. That would be very profitable, I think. I think so, yeah. Because you're going to start a trend. Now everyone's going to name themselves after bacteria. <laughs> and we're going to run out yeah, of bacterial names. Good, right? So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you decided to write romance, I know that a lot of your characters are also scientists. Was that just writing what you know? Or was that sort of like, we need more scientists, especially heroin scientists? It's a bit of both. Um, obviously, I, I, I can convincingly write a scientist, so that's fine. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I used to read a lot of chick lit. I used to commute to London from Oxford, and it's a long and boring commute. That is and, a long um, way. Like, I'm not – that that's a long way, right? Yeah, well, it, it is on, like, the British rail system. It's like an hour and a half, and <laughs> you're doing so three hours on a train every day. That's a so, lot. Um, yeah, I used to read a lot of chick lit back in the like late 90s, early 2000s, and I just thought I don't. There are no people like me, you know. Um, but so yeah, so I thought I'm going to write professional heroines who do sciencey things, because apparently scientists weren't heroines back back then. So um, or heroes, in fact. <laughs> no, there weren't a lot of either. No, I mean Big Bang Theory changed things a lot. Yes. Yeah, so I, I wrote that in um, Dr. January, which is like my first non-chiclet novel, if you like. Um, that's got, it's all entirely set in a microbiology lab. And um, a lot of the, the science that happens in there is, is based on stuff that I used to do. So okay. I, I know without needing to check, I know it's accurate. <laughs> no one no one can challenge you on the science of your, of your books. Your oh, science is way yeah. tight. I had a I had a review once where they were like, hmm, I, this science isn't very convincing. I was like, oh, I can give you references. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly how to do all of those things. <laughs> I will record a very long, very, very long YouTube video demonstrating all of this. Yeah. yeah. 
I was I was actually quite tempted. <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah, but to kind of like draw out the steps and go, look, this is what PCR does, and this is what this bit does, and, you know. But you know, I got talked down. <laughs> <laughs> Probably for the better. Although you know, yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna run a DNA test all night long, you could have your characters get up to some very interesting things while they're waiting for all those tests to come through. Very true. Yeah, we used to spend a lot of time apparently doing very little and, you know, like the boss would come in, what are you doing? Like, our samples are spinning or samples are running or whatever. And that was perfectly legitimate. But um, we used to have in the lab an anaerobic cabinet which had um, these gloves. You stuck your hands in the gloves and then you, you press the vacuum and basically you were stuck in there and you had to operate it with your feet. And if for some reason you kicked the controls out of your reach, you were stuck. So we used to take a phone in into the airlock with us. Right. And like if that number rang, you just kind of went and rescued whoever it was that was stuck. Right. Um, and, you know, stuff like that, you could do a lot. Especially especially if you have the, the airlock phone and the person you get on the other end is someone that you really, really dislike, who really gets to, gets along poorly with you. You have to go help them out because they're stuck in a cabinet. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the rules because it could be you next time. Ah, uh, I'm already imagining the tension. That's just delicious. You wrote that, right? <laughs> Actually, I don't think I put the airlock bit in. But no, I, I'll, I'll save it for another one. All right, let me know when it's in because I'm here for that. <laughs> cool, I will do. So you have written a number of different books. And it's it's really interesting for me when I talk to writers who publish in the UK because the terminology that you guys use is slightly different. And I learned a lot about this um, when I was at RNA in Lancaster in in July. So you you have romantic novels and then yeah. you have chiclet and romance is not something that is as widely used as a term. Is that right? Um, romance to us is a bit more nebulous than it is in the U.S. Because in the U.S. it's like front and center is the romantic con uh, conflict and the romantic storyline. Right. There's not a lot of other stuff. So what we write would probably be more women's fiction over there. Right. Um, I mean, there are some. Um, Chiclet is like the, I don't know, is, is Chiclet even a thing over there? I don't think it is, is it? it it's weird. There are books that I could describe as chiclet, except that it's not a term that's used anymore in term in, in marketing, because it's so. Yeah. It, it, and a lot of readers think it is um, derogatory or pejorative, and a lot of writers whose books were assigned that category found it really limiting because the, from what I understand, and from certainly from my perspective, the idea of chiclet was light and funny, um, lighthearted, and romance was a secondary or tertiary part of a plot that dealt with a lot of other things. Right. And so if you had a book that was about a female character and romance was part of it, you got to sign Chiclet, even if it wasn't yeah, anything, yeah. In, anything in common at all with all of the other books in that category. And yeah, that, that, that's that, very similar to here. Right, yeah. and that category kind of just disappeared even though the books still exist they get called other things or you, you'll 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 have someone pitch a book and they'll kind of talk around the term for a little while and use a bunch of other words and then maybe they'll be like it's kind of like chiclet but not really 
Exactly. That's exactly because you know I I started off. Oh, I write romantic comedy, and people are like, "Is it chiclet?" No, no, it's not chiclet. There's not enough shopping and shoes in it. Exactly, uh, shopping and uh, shoes. Yeah, yeah. and then you're like, okay, so what's it about? So you go, oh, it's about woman, man, you know, funny jokes. It's chiclet, and you know, in the end, you just kind of go, right, fine, call it chiclet. And it's funny and because so, yeah. for me. Chicklet, I think of Sophie Kinsella and Shopaholic yeah. and yeah. Um, diff- different, I think Jane Green was a Chicklet author and I don't know. I just now there's probably Crowbar Sarah Morgan into there, but only just. Barely, yes, because Romance for Sarah Morgan is primary to the story. The thing exactly. about Chicklet, one of my theories, this is this is totally my own theory. Um, okay, the Wendell theory of Chicklet. Yes, I am. I am as full of shit as anyone, basically. <laughs> Grain of salt time. So my theory is that you can trace the evolution of a new subgenre by looking at what pieces it's made of. And my theory is that new adult is recasting chiclet in a bad economy because you have heroines who are coming of age and experiencing autonomy for the first time. But instead yeah. of having a wonderful economy where you get a job with a very high salary right out of college in a field that you're completely unqualified for and you can go to <laughs> Bergdorf's like on a whim or, you know, if that's too boring, yeah. go to Barney's like you have this wonderful economic future ahead of you. That is no longer the case. And so you have this same situation of experiencing autonomy, entering adulthood in a very financially and emotionally precarious time. And that is what has in part influenced the, the angst and the emotional, um, the emotional depth of new adult, whereas the essential subject matter can be traced back to chiclet. Somewhere right now, many new adult authors are screaming at me. They don't know why. They're just facing the direction that I am in, and they are screeching and in anger because I know that I know that that theory does not hold water with a lot of people. But I think that there's I think there's a lot of commonality. Um, new adults not really huge here, so it still gets probably bundled into YA. Yeah, which which is irritating because it's it's not yeah as you slightly different yeah it's more about becoming you than about i don't know fighting bigger things yes but um yeah but it it would be nice actually if it became one because that would that would nicely divide up the whole women's fiction romantic comedy what are we going to call the thing that isn't chiclet thing what are we going to call the thing that isn't chiclet i think is a question that a lot of people constantly ask because even even the difference in the way the books look between the UK and the US is, oh, is yeah, a challenge. Yeah. Like you have co- uh, covers that are illustrations and silhouettes and cartoons. And yeah. I really like some of them. But to me, as an American consumer, they send a completely different message. Yeah, we, we occasionally, very, very occasionally have uh, people buy them thinking they're for children. Uh, oops. Yeah, and they are so not. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that doesn't happen very often because, well, not so much now anyway, used to do. But, you know, cartoony covers, if you're not used to it, yeah, you kind of go, oh, yeah, it's got, like, cakes and things on the front. And shoes. I'll buy that. <laughs> and possibly so. slender legs with high heels on. Yeah, you don't get so many of those now. No. It's mostly about, it's tea shops at the moment. It's all, like, a cake shop in Cornwall and... 
you know, it's so funny. You have tea shops and Cornwall. We have small towns and cupcakes. Like we are, we are never going to run out of cupcake bakeries ever. It's all bakeries and confectionery shops and cupcakes out coming out your ears in small towns. Yeah. And I love how the, the, right here. Yeah. the parallel in the UK is Cornwall with tea shops. Yeah. Cornwall, I think is a pole dock thing, you know? Oh, totally. Totally a pole dock thing. <laughs> it's also. Which can start soon. Yes, I think it is starting soon, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And we've got Great British Bake Off as well. I know, and we don't. Do you know how far behind we are in what is actually aired in the states? We just got the end of the season where Nadia won, like oh, wow. two weeks ago. We're yeah. so far behind you. It's like it's like when when our when our when our television station uh, puts the Olympics on time delay. Like we know that this is over, and it happened six hours ago. We're not stupid. With the British Bake Off, it's like the Olympics yeah. times a thousand. Like we already know we watched it on YouTube. Yeah, it was last year, for God's sake. And the worst was I knew. Okay, so my husband got totally hooked on the Great British Bake Off, which is amazing because we love cooking shows, but we don't like reality television. And it's like the best version of reality television with cooking. It's like the most brilliant mashup of both. It's so the, freaking the, British. It's, so, it's just it's competitive, but they're really nice to each other. Yes. The only thing that I would make that. it more British, the only thing that would make it even more British is if they all had to stand in a queue and wait before they could <laughs> enter the tent. Like that would make it yeah. extra. That would be like the cherry on top of the showcase or the showstopper of the Great British Bake Off. Make it more British. Have them stand in a queue for like, what, half an hour, 45 minutes? Yeah, then let them yeah. in. No reason, yep. no complaining. We're all just going to stand in line and then you're going to go inside. Anyway, it's like the most it's British thing. You know? <laughs> and so my husband is totally hooked on the, on the bake off. And like, it's, it, it's on the, the, um, the DVR. He's like, Oh, we have a bake off. We can get to watch it. And I knew the ending. I knew that she won. I knew she made oh, the queen's birthday cake. I was like, I knew all this stuff. And I had to like, shut my mouth because you know bake-off spoilers is, is like a really good way to break oh, up a marriage right can't end my marriage like, over the bake-off i watch while it's being broadcast everything else i watch on catch-up yes my, my eight-year-old and i she stays up and we watch it together it's so adorable it's and I'm, I'm i'm worried about mary berry like i'm a little worried about her because <laughs> i'm really worried she's gonna haul off and just pop him in the mouth <laughs> what paul hollywood yes I'm waiting for her to be like, no, you're wrong, pal. But that would be an American. You can see how I'm tinged by American reality television. The scrum would be the American element. But you know when, like, Paul's really mean to them, you're just like, oh, he's being mean. But when Mary's really harsh, oh, it oh it's, it guts you. Yeah. You're oh, just, like, just crumpled oh, inside. Just, harsh. I don't taste the basil. No! But in, in the first episode of this series, there's this bit where this guy is, is, is putting gin in it, and her eyes just go, bing! <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? I'm sure it was the camera was just, like, panned onto her face just for that bit. <laughs> I, that That is a pretty British addition. I mean, like, you guys have gin and tonic bars. Yeah, gin and tonic cupcakes. I'm going to have to lie down now. I did not realize that was a thing that existed. What, gin and tonic cupcakes? No, I had no idea. This is going to be, okay, this is the this is my moment. This is how I'm going to make a bazillion dollars in the American romance market. I am going to write about a small town cupcake shop that sells nothing but alcoholic cupcakes. <laughs> I'm going to have gin and tonic cupcakes, margarita cupcakes. I'm going to have 
uh, Caperina cupcakes and oh my goodness, uh, bourbon cupcakes. I'm just at bacon, bacon, bourbon cupcakes. I'm sure those exist already. I'm going to make alcoholic cupcakes. Well, there you go then. That's, <laughs> that's bound to be wonderful. Right? They'll be the best yeah. reality show based <laughs> you know, on the like series. like an alcoholic cupcake recipe book spin-off. Totally. Um, Gin and tonic cupcakes. I feel like my world has just expanded. Wow. Oh, Thank Sarah you. Cupcakes. You could have gin and tonic cupcakes. Why not? Sure. Why not? Of course. Oh. So with your, with your books, one of the things I learned from you when we spoke at RNA was that chocolate has a bit of a different publishing process. Um, and this is like a hard right turn from alcoholic cupcakes, but I'm super curious because it is chocolate <laughs> technically, I guess it's chocolate. Yeah. Technically. So we, we're all partial to cupcakes and gin and tonic. So yeah. Well, I mean, you guys have a whole break for extra food and pastry. Yeah. That's very Where civilized. How do you cope? We don't have tea time. We're all workaholics oh, over here. We, we eat bad snacks from a vending machine. We don't take a break. I remember when I went to the, um, when I went to a conference in Australia, GenreCon, a couple of years ago, they had breakfast and then morning tea and then lunch and then afternoon tea and then dinner. And I was like, I'm going to gain 90 pounds at this conference. There's food every three hours. This is the most civilized conference I've ever been to. It was amazing. Yeah. See, this is well, what happens. Yeah. This is what happens when you break up with the UK officially. Like we did that, you know, 200 <laughs> odd years ago and now we don't get tea. Yeah. You lose tea time. I mean, we lost oh, tea time. Oh, what cost? I need to go back and address the um, colonialists and the, and, the, and the rebels who were like, yeah, we got to overthrow this ruling tyranny. Like, no, 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 no. You're throwing away tea time. Just think about think about what you're doing. You're giving oh, away cake that. time. Throw away everything else. Yeah. Right? Anyway. So chocolate yeah, has yeah, a chocolate. very unique sort of process of, of how books are published. Am I remembering that right? You are. Um, so we, we submit a synopsis and um, then kind of, you know, so long as it's in the romance genre and it has the hero's point of view, it gets sent, the, the actual full manuscript gets sent to a reading panel um, called the Chocolate Tasting Panel. Okay, that's brilliant. And, <laughs> and um, they, they read it and then they score it. And there's, uh, I think, I forget exactly how many, but it's like four to six people read it. Right. And then the scores are collated, and if like I think you're allowed one miss, but every, every if everybody else passes it, then they'll take it. Wow! Um, and they also get the feedback from it as well. So the books are edited with actual reader feedback. But what what that means is that a lot of publishing is um, very conservative, and they won't take books which are a bit bit out there, you know. So like, please release me, which is my last book. Yes. That was different. Oh, yes. <laughs> it, was, it was romance, but even for here, it was more women's fiction. And um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have got through the, the selection process anywhere else because it was different. It had a paranormal element to it. It was about grief. It was, and, you know, there was a little bit of love in there, but it was, it was just different. Nobody would know which pigeonhole to stick it in. And the readers just went, yeah, we like it. And then, you know, um, again, with the diversity thing, I'm, I've been sneaking sneaking Sri Lankan characters into my books um, all along. So there's always at least one Sri Lankan character in my book. Oh, that's very like, devious. It is, yes. <laughs> Surprise! Sri Lankan characters. Ha-ha! Yeah. Ta-da! <laughs> there's a random person 
walking past with a Sri Lankan character, whatever. Yeah, and um, so Grace is uh, is half Sri Lankan. And I did wonder, you know, would that, would that be an issue? But no, readers didn't even notice. It's funny. I remember oh. when I was reading it, um, there's a part where after she sort of, because one of the themes of that book is waking up, waking up from a yeah. coma, waking up from grief, waking up to your new life. And there are two scenes in that, in, from that book that really stick with me. And one is when she, she realizes that she doesn't have any connection to her father's homeland. And so she leaves and goes to Sri Lanka for, I think, was it like six or eight weeks? Like she takes a serious holiday. And yeah. I was like, is, is there like an extra section of her in Sri Lanka I could read somewhere? Is there like a, like a Sri Lankan pamphlet maybe that I could, because that was amazing. And it, it wasn't part of the story. So I understand why it wasn't in the book. But that must have been amazing. Yeah, I, I actually wrote some of those scenes. I should put them in a little deleted scenes section, shouldn't I? Yeah, yes. Because that's, I mean, it's 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 an interesting way to introduce a character to a culture that is partially hers that she's never experienced in person, immersed in it. Yeah. And, and you know, traveling to get to know a parent who's died through the place where they were born is really powerful. Like, I thought that was so Brave. Yeah, and it, it was it was the place that he was born, but he hadn't been back. Yeah, like for her entire life, he'd never been back, but he still talked about it as home. And I think that as a as a way of managing and navigating her grief, that is just very very brave because you know grief is all about how painful it is to be surrounded by the things that are familiar that remind you of the person who's gone but also wanting the familiar because it's comforting. And she's like, I'm going to go and find out about my father who never went back to Sri Lanka. And I'm going to go there and learn about him. Like, that's just really incredible. Yeah. But with, with Grace though, she never really got to grieve for her father properly in the first time around. No, Cause no. it's all about, she's kind of trapped in this whole grief thing. Yes. And you know, so her father dies and then mother falls ill and she just never gets the chance to assimilate it all. And so, yeah, a lot of it, part of it, the clearing out the house eventually is, symbolic as well and that's kind of her reconnecting with her parents as they used to be you know as they would want to be remembered rather than as sick people that she had to look after yeah so that, there's a little bit of that and I guess the next stage from that is connecting with her father and the bits that she didn't see of him and the other scene from that book that I remember so clearly is the scene where she's looking at the calendar after her mother has died and there's nothing on it. There's no doctor's appointments. There's no trips to the hospice. There's no, there's nothing on the calendar. Yeah. And she's gone from being completely busy to having nothing to do because her role as caretaker is over. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's hard to move on from that because it took over her life. Right. 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 I mean, right. I, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of middle-aged now. And, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Me of, too. <laughs> I don't think I'm middle-aged, and suddenly I remember, um, and it's horrifying. Uh, but no, a lot of people my age are now in that sandwich generation where we're looking after children and looking after parents. Yes. And um, yeah, I kind of wanted to explore that a little bit as well. I mean, Grace doesn't have children because that was just too complicated. But yeah, that kind of your caregiver to somebody younger than you and somebody older than you, and they both have, both sets have demands. Yeah, so that, that was kind of what I was trying to explore. But Grace's, Grace's whole being is, is centered around being this carer. She gave up everything else in her life, apart from work. Yes. That's the one thing she still has. 
Um, and that's kind of the other thing she defines herself by. But I, I didn't go into that a lot. Yeah, and then kind of left that side of it because I wanted to focus more on the, the grief and coming out of grief and waking up, as you say. And like you said, that's a hard sort of niche to define in terms of what kind of a book is this? Yeah, yeah. It yeah, it is it doesn't comfortably fit in it's I mean it's got a paranormal element, but it's not what you would expect to be paranormal. Right, like no one's a vampire, there's no werewolves. Just there's uh, a ghost. Yeah, there's there's not even a big bad, you know, there's there's a, the ghost is a little bad. <laughs> right. And the, and the, she, and the she's she was great fun to write. Oh my gosh, I cannot imagine. She was so much fun to write because, you know, she touches a lot. And she gets really close to not being awful. And then... Yeah, she's she's kind of trapped in the angry stage of grief. Yeah, she really like, is. She blamed her mother for her father's death and she just can't get past that. And she's just so angry. And yeah, and she gets really close to not being awful and she kind of realizes that like grace is her friend and she hasn't had a friend for ever as for long as she can remember yep and yeah but it she's so ingrained and also like i kind of didn't want her to be able to move on too much because she's in a coma and she's she's kind of representing the stuck <laughs> yes and she's recognizing um, not being she's she represents not being able to move on and yeah and taking responsibility yeah, but the the fact that she lets go in the end is is you know yeah. spoiler, but yeah, I, I I do like the part where her last words are are her are, are not what she wanted. <laughs> I know that scene made me laugh, and uh, I felt a bit bad laughing at a death scene, but you know it did make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, because Grace is the only one that can see her. Even though Grace yeah. would really like to not have this ghost randomly show up in her house all the time. Yeah, and like try and watch DVDs with her and stuff. Right. And like, like yeah. Grace has to grieve again. Yeah. But this person who isn't even really there, she never really met her in, you know, in, in corporeal life. Yeah, like. exactly. Yeah. I, I think that one of the interesting things about romances and romantic stories that involve ghosts is that it's a like you said it's a paranormal element but it's not a paranormal creature it's a piece of a human but not the whole character yeah yeah exactly i mean they're they're still people they just manifest in a different way so can i ask you a somewhat personal question yeah sure. do you do you think ghosts are real um Previously, I would have said, no, I don't really believe in them. But in order to make up the rules for Sally, I had to kind of really think about it. And the way I came up with a, a way of rationalizing it was that, uh, like, you know, if you have a house, a set of flats, you have the same space, but it's the same space multiplied several times on top of each other. Right. Right. And if you take that into a four-dimensional example, so you've got a three-dimensional space, and it's the same place, but it's stacked up in time. Right. So you've got time in the past and time in the future. And um, so Sally is moving around the same space, but in a different time. Right. So she will walk through things that weren't in front of her when she was there, if you see what I mean. Right. Which is why she can't go to places she hasn't been before. 
So she can she operates in spaces where she has been, but any changes yeah. to those spaces don't apply to her because they weren't there when she was there. Yeah, exactly. So the space remains and the timeline yeah. moves forward, but an individual yeah. spot on that timeline in that space can be inhabited by what's remains of someone's memories. Yeah. That yeah, that that was pretty much my my idea of how it worked. And from there I I could do all the rules of what she could walk through and what she could see and she couldn't see and stuff like that. So, for example, she can't go out into Grace's garden because she's not been there when she's she not. came to look around the house. Right. And uh, and then obviously it becomes quite important for the plot that right. she was somewhere where she wasn't supposed to have been. But then she was there. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the worst when the character's like, oh, no, there's no way this is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that pretty much guarantees it will, dude. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So outside of the world of your rules for ghosts, when you were doing your research, did you have to read a lot of ghost stories? No. Um, I was quite affected by Truly Madly Deeply, if you've seen it, the film. Yeah? Yeah. I like that film a lot. And it was one of these, like, everybody was like, oh, it's the most romantic film ever. And I watched it, and I got to, I don't know, 90% of the way through it, thinking, it's good, but I don't see why. And then, like, that last 10 minutes, oh, brilliant. <laughs> and Alan Rickman as well, you know. Well, I mean, he elevates anything. Yeah, yeah. But now, unfortunately, he'll always just be Snape to everyone, <laughs> which is such a shame because he did so much more. It is a shame. When you were writing um, Please Release Me, mm -hmm. were you writing it for yourself or did you think, okay, I, I bet... I bet this will work out with, with chocolate because it, it must be very challenging to write a book that you know doesn't quite fit anywhere and that your options are limited by a genre and a publishing um, world that sort of has very specific definitions. Was that is that daunting at all? Um, yes, it is. Um, but, you know, I'm very lucky that chocolate has this system because, um, yeah, they, they take some very different books we've we've got quite a few books like Jane Lovering writes slightly she writes what she calls dark psychological fiction with jokes which wouldn't fit anywhere else and um yeah and you know like the, the scientist heroes they don't tend to fit in regular um genre fiction very well and the scientist heroines um so yeah and we I, it does writing for chocolate gives me the freedom to write um for example um Girl in Trouble, which isn't out yet. Um, that's about a woman who doesn't want to have children. And again, you never get that past a publishing house. But it got through the, the tasting panel. So they were like, yeah, okay, we'll go with that. And, you know, that's, that's another underrepresented minority. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, so I, it, that's quite nice to be able to do that. When I was writing Please Release Me, I just, I just wrote the book, wrote the book that it, the way it had to come out. It was just one of those stories that was just nagging. Um, but yeah, I write two kinds of of romance, so I tend to write like, Doctor January and Please Release Me are slightly darker, and I'll write a slightly darker book, and they it takes more out of me if you see what I mean. Oh, I absolutely I understand to, that. Yeah, and then I have to write something kind of slightly lighter and and not frothy, but frothier, <laughs> um, just to kind of release the tension. <laughs> so I kind of alternate between dark and not so dark. With Please Release Me came out last year for you, and I think it came out earlier this year for me. I have no sense of time. Um, yeah, yeah, it came it came out in paperback 
in June, July, something like that. Yes. What are you working on now? What what are you uh, what are you writing? Can you tell us about it? I'm currently writing something that's very English. It's it's set in Yorkshire. I used to live oh. in in West Yorkshire. Is everyone just then... standing in a queue? No, but there's a lot of cake. Okay, I'm here for this. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> there's like cakes and buns and things. Yeah, and a lot of snow. Uh, it's one of the few places in England where you will actually get a white Christmas. So, oh, that's um, excellent. Yeah. So yeah, and then. Um, after that, I'll probably go back to the the world of Girl on the Run and Girl Having a Ball because my next book, Girl Having a Ball, is coming out next month. Oh, really? That, oh my gosh! Tell us about it. It's actually a re-release because it came out with Unseal um, Press years mm -hmm. ago, but I had to update it because there's lots and lots of emails in it, and we had to update it to WhatsApp because WhatsApp wasn't a thing when I wrote it. <laughs> and now we had this discussion and we were like, would they text each other, would they email each other, or would they just WhatsApp? So oh, they're just WhatsApp. So I had to go through and like replace all of these emails and text messages. Um, and yeah, that one's set in Oxford, and it's probably new adult, actually, thinking about it. It's about somebody who's 22. She's always had her big brother to look after her, and her big brother has got married, and they're expecting a baby. And she can feel the, the, the distance, the drifting apart. And she's trying to prove that she can stand on her own two feet. And she's setting up as a party organizer. So she ends up trying to organize this this ball in a old manor house in Oxford. And um, it's to raise money for a Sri Lankan charity. So I've got lots of Sri Lankan food in there. Surprise! In there. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so it's all about that. And it's about her becoming independent. And obviously, there's the romance element as well. So it's the the person who owns the house. It's his son that she falls in love for, love with even. Yay. And he's a lot older than her. He's he's like six. How many years? Eight years older than her. <gasps> Shocking. Um, I know. So he's like nearly thirty, and she's only twenty-two. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, but if the house is actually based on a real house in Oxford. Really? Did you have yeah. to stay there for research? I mean, did you have to go visit and spend lots of time in this beautiful place? <laughs> I used to live there as a student, so. Oh, nice. Uh, I, I, this is going to sound really bonkers, but um, it used to be owned by the Convent of the Sacred Heart. So it was called the nunnery, and I met my husband there. So it's like whenever people say, oh, how did you two meet? You go, oh, we met in a nunnery. So, yeah, it's based on this real house. It's it, doesn't I don't think it belongs to the convent anymore. I think they sold it, but at the time it was it was fantastic. It was a brilliant place to live, and obviously uh, I had the ready-made location for a story. Yeah, no kidding. We uh, we found the World War Two blackout blinds. We put them up and we turned the living room into a disco, which the heroine does in the book. Okay, that's brilliant. It was it's really fun. It's really fun to write as well because I'm kind of reliving my past. So Doctor January was me reliving days in the lab. Um. Yeah, girl having a ball is me reliving the nunnery. Well, I remember Although interviewing. I remember interviewing Sarah Morgan at one point because she started writing medicals for uh, Harlequin Mills and Boone, and she's yeah. she was a nurse by training. So she was writing medicals, and was saying told me that one of the reasons she started writing medicals was that. A, there were more happy endings if she was writing them. And B, in her world, in her medicals, the doctors always listen to the nurses. 
Like no one ignores the nurses. The doctors always listen because right. you know, if someone was a complete, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if someone was a complete jerk, she could, you know, write them into the book and then have horrible things happen to them. So maybe what you're doing is making everything the most idealized, awesome version of what happened. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, I also write about lawyers a lot. <laughs> Um, I work in um, technology transfer in a university, so I work with patent lawyers a lot. Oh, they're basically scientists and lawyers. I was going to say, they're like scientific brains in, in lawyer bodies. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well, so, that yeah. must be fun. Well, <laughs> um, Girl on the Run is set in a patent attorney firm, and I actually had a patent blog review it. And I was so nervous. I thought, oh, I hope there's no no holes in my patent law you know <laughs> Thank goodness. so yeah because there's an actual like suspenseful search for prior art in it which they thought was hilarious yeah no luckily no holes in the patent law so that's good well done <laughs> so my other question that i always ask people is what are you reading right now that you recommend uh i've just finished reading fallen by julie cohen oh is, how did uh, you like it I really like that. I really, really liked it. It's not romance. There's like a, a tiny romantic subplot in it, but it's about these three women. So there's the um, there's the there's Joe. There's her mother-in-law who has no one else to live with, and she's had a fall, so she you know, so she's living with her. And then there's Joe's daughter, and it's about these three generations of women living in the same house, and they all have their own secrets, and it's all beautifully intertwined. I, I like Julie's books anyway, so. Um, yeah, I saw it and I was like, "Ooh, autobuy." So, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so fallen, really good. And um, I'm, I've just read you reviewed Bollywood Bride on the blog recently. I'm just I'm reading that. Oh, isn't Sonali wonderful? Yeah, she's brilliant. I really enjoyed that, and it's it's so nice to see characters who are who are not white, but the issue is not the fact that they're not white. The issue is, is something completely different. It's, it's a little bit kind of um, Bollywood Bride is basically what it's like to be the daughter of the mad woman in the attic. So, so that was that was really it's really interesting. I'm really enjoying that. That's cool. Yeah, I think, you know, the whole diversity thing, that's that's what we need. We just need more people doing people things, not doing ethnic minority things or <laughs> people of color things. Because, you know, it's not like, you know, like I said, if, if it's not like we shut the door and then suddenly it's all like mangoes and spices. That that doesn't happen? You don't just shut your door and then you no, have like yeah. a beautiful, fragrant mango tree just growing out of the floor? No, no elephants and no singing and dancing. Oh, see, now you're just breaking my heart. That's just not cool. <laughs> yeah. Big, big Bollywood stuff, song and singing and dancing numbers. My my daughter, we, we went to um, Sri Lanka over Christmas, and she got completely hooked on the Bollywood Singing and Dancing channel. Oh, so yeah. For a while in our house, there was singing and dancing. <laughs> <laughs> in the air. <laughs> One of the things I love about Bollywood movies is that so many of them are like visual romance novels. I yeah. remember doing a, an interview with Sonali who was telling me that she didn't realize that romance was a r literary genre until she found one and then went to one of her friends and she's like, I found a Bollywood movie, only it's in a book. There's a whole bunch of them. <laughs> There's, they're, they're everywhere. Did you know about this? Yeah, well, that, I had 
hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. Yeah. Well, because growing up in Sri Lanka, we get a lot of, we had a lot of Bollywood films. I don't speak Hindi, but you don't need to understand it because it's all, it's so visual. Yes. And it's all, it's all sort of, if you don't understand the language, the the song, the costumes, the body language, and the and the actual exactly. physical movement make yeah. it very very clear. You can still get the sense of what's happening. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I remember I was yeah. watching one, and of course I cannot remember the name because I'm horrible. Um, I want to say they were wedding planners, and they were competing with a really 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 big firm. Um, and so okay. what they and what they did was basically put together weddings that were very um, simple and instead of being like extremely expensive and very very high class and extremely elegant, they were very simple and intimate and people sort of like started booking them because it was very trendy. And oh, this sounds great. I'm gonna have to look it up. Oh, I will. I will oh. find it for you. I will find it for you because I just have to remember that I, I, I am the worst person. It's, it's not even just titles in other languages. I cannot remember titles in English either. I just remember the pictures. But um, there is, there is a sex scene in this movie. <gasps> really, in a Bollywood movie? Yes, oh. there's a love scene, and I was like, oh. My God! Oh my God! What are you serious? They're, they're, they're and they're, oh my God! The camera hasn't panned away yet. Like I had my mouth open, like like down to my knees. Like whoa! Um, it's called. I'm gonna say this wrong, so I, everyone who actually knows how to say this, please forgive me. It's Bond Baaja Baaraat. Okay, I will look that one up. But if you look up Bond Baaja, it'll come up. The 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 actors are terrific. And it's super adorable, and it's friends to lovers, which is like totally my catnip. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like that's my favorite thing. Um, I, I, I particularly like. Have you seen Monsoon Wedding? No. That's in English. Oh, well, that's very convenient. I can I cannot remember the title of that one um, <laughs> as well. Monsoon Wedding. Yeah, Ooh. and it's it's about a, it's about a, a rushed wedding if if you like, but it's it's about a. Indian wedding uh-huh. and about the, the family and about the sisters in it and it's one of those where I thought yeah because going back to the whole diversity thing when I when I read we get a lot of literary fiction in in England which is about Asian characters but it's almost fetishizing the Asianness. and um, but Monsoon Wedding it was about a middle-class um, Indian family and they spoke like people I would recognize. They acted like people I would recognize, you know. And some of the problems they had were the sort of things that you you might see, you know. And just the way the family interacted and all of that, it, was, it wasn't it was all like, oh, this traditional birthing bucket and this traditional, traditional this, traditional that. They were just like normal people. Right. But in India. And I liked that a lot. I took my I took my husband to see that, and then we went to see my big fat Greek wedding, and that basically summed up everything that he was. This was before we were married. I was just like, watch those two films, and then that's you. That's that's what you're gonna get. This is really. I'm looking at the plot summary of Monsoon Wedding. There's a lot that happens in this movie. Yeah, yeah. They're singing and dancing. So. Well, yeah. Good. Well, that's how they all end, right? Everyone dances at the end. Yep. Yep. So instead of, you know, riding off alone on a horse into the sunset with, yeah. with, with misery and sadness and isolation, you go, yeah. you know, you go dance. Woo! Which is, I mean, perfect happy ending territory, right? Oh, totally. Maybe more books should end with dancing. I mean, it's hard to write dancing in a book, but more dancing would be good. Yeah. Yeah. Or just jumping up and down. 
jumping <laughs> up and down. So are there any other books that you want to make sure that you mention to tell people about? Because it's very interesting to me how how similar in some ways and very different in other ways the UK and US markets are when it, when romance and romantic books are concerned. I mean, British romances are. If, if you're kind of into character-driven stuff, um, which is a bit more than just the romance, so kind of the romance is an element of it, then, yeah, British romances will be, will be the thing because we, we seem to have a lot of that. Um, I've got, I have here, because I was, I was thinking about what to say, and I was thinking, I found, I've got a list of scientist heroes and heroines books, if you like. Sure, why um, not? Bring it on. Well, from the chocolate ones, we've got, um, obviously microbiologists, we've got Dr. January. Right. Um, and then Grace in, in Please Release Me. Right. And we've got, uh, Sweet Nothing by Alison May, that's got a maths PhD in it. Uh, How I Wonder What You Are has got an astrophysicist in it. Bring Me Sunshine's got a biologist in it. Um, and I'm, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong now. It's Vyrie McFarlane, I think. Uh-huh. She writes. Uh, she's got a couple with clients, well, PhD heroines in. Um, and I've, I've completely forgotten what it was called. Oh, <laughs> Welcome to my brain. Though. Yeah. Uh, it was the first one she wrote, and I've completely lost it. I'll have to email you what it was called. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that writes science ones. I mean, now there's a few more geek romance people, but they're American, so that's quite nice. You already cover them. So I, I read One Con Glory the other day. Oh, really did you like that. it? Yeah. Well, I've never been to a science fiction convention or a, or a Comic-Con, but, you know, you kind of know what happens. I've seen so much on YouTube. Right. Yes. It's loud. It's crowded. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, as you saw, our conferences are, are, are a little smaller. Ju yeah. Just <laughs> a little. Uh, a li <laughs> yeah. A little. Little in a lot of little different in a lot of ways. Yeah. More cake. <laughs> oh, sorry. More cake breaks. <laughs> more cake breaks, yeah, which is very, yeah. very nice. Yeah. The food was good there. I liked it there. Because that's British. Your main courses, you know, take it or leave it. You can have it bland, but pudding, you do not mess with pudding. Pudding is the thing. Oh, no. Pudding is serious business. Yeah. They're going to have to find you this recipe for gin and tonic cupcake. And that is all for this week's episode. I want to thank Rhoda Baxter for hanging out and talking with me. This is another interview that I ended up doing twice because the audio on the first go around was not so good. I am very grateful that she took yet more time to hang out and talk with me, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you are curious about some of these books, you know where to find them, right? SmartBitchesTrashyBooks.com slash podcast episode number 212. You can find it at the top of the page or near the top, unless it's like, you know, the same week, in which case it's at the top. But, you know, you know how blogs work. They're chronological. As I mentioned during the intro, I don't have a sponsor for this episode. Fear not. The transcript will still totally happen as usual. And if you're thinking, I, I would totally like to sponsor an episode of the podcast, I would totally like to talk to you about it, you can email me at sarah at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. And if you would like to support the show for as little as a dollar a month, which would be so amazing, have a look at our Patreon at patreon.com slash smartbitches. I am immeasurably, immeasurably grateful to everyone who has taken a look, shared the link, sponsored the show, helped us out. You're awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you're listening and you're thinking, what? What are you talking about? Patreon.com slash smartbitches. Thank you again. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. She's on Twitter at Sassy Outwater and on Facebook at Positively Sassy. That's P-A-W, Satively Sassy. 
This is Shadow Orchestra. This track is called Sweet as a Nut, and you can find this album on iTunes and Amazon, and you can also check them out on their MySpace page. And as always, every time I get to mention MySpace, my soul is 12 degrees lighter with filled with joy because MySpace. I, I just want more bands to be on Friendster because I'm old enough that I miss Friendster. I'm also really hopped up on cold medicine, so I miss weird things. If ever there was a time for me to take live calls and answer random questions, this would be it. But unfortunately, I think it's nap time. But before I go, I want to say thank you to you. Yes, you for listening, because it's awesome that every Friday I get email and tweets and messages saying, I love this episode. I love doing the podcast so much. And I'm so, so grateful that you tune in each week. So thank you very much. And if you have recipes for gin and tonic cupcakes, I would like to see them because seriously, alcoholic baked goods, small town romance, mark my words, that's a massive moneymaker. Like I said, hopped up on cold medicine. So on behalf of Rhoda and me and everyone here, including my cats, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend. <laughs>